boycotting. It is a topic that pro-lifers talk about very often, is something that we do somewhat regularly, and is something that I'm going to talk about more today. Stay tuned. Hi folks, welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. My name is Cam, I'm the host of the show. Welcome back, um, everyone. Um, whether you're new to the show, whether you are a long-time listener, I appreciate your patience and getting episodes out. We had a few episodes um, get delayed because of scheduling errors and... Um, people needing to bump back their interviews. Um, it is going to be a fast and furious uh, November, December um, for me because there are like a dozen interviews that are lined up already, which is really exciting. Um, a number of them with authors of books, children's books, um, adult books, fiction books, nonfiction books, um, as well as a number of other guests, including some people that we've had on before, like Laura Clausen, and some people that we've never had on the show before. Um, and so that's super exciting. Um, and I hope that you can continue to give me your feedback on which episodes you enjoy, which ones you don't enjoy, what do you want to hear more about, what do you want to hear less about. This is a show for you. Um, as much as I am the pro-life guy, um, I, I would love to hear more and more from you, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, what you're curious about, all that kind of thing. And today's episode is going to be a bit of a weird one. And I, I, I'm going to say this right off the bat. This is something that I have been asked about for a very long time um, by a lot of volunteers local here in Calgary, people messaging me on social media, emailing me, asking about how, when, if pro-lifers should boycott um, companies, organizations, individuals who support abortion. Um, and I think this is a really interesting question that in some ways I am going to tackle very head on. In some ways, I'm not going to necessarily get into the theology of um, boycotting and what Christ says biblically or, or other kind of philosophical principles behind the idea of boycotting. But I do want to share a few thoughts that go through my mind. And I kind of see this as an episode, which I hope will get a little bit of um, discourse on because it is something that I'm really curious as to where people are at as well. Um, I think that there obviously is a tremendous amount on the go with regards to abortion and other important issues that many of us um, hold very near and dear to our hearts. And how do we effectively affect change in our society? What role, if any, should boycotting have? What do we even mean by boycotting in the first place? And I think that's a, a valuable spot to start. What are we talking about when we talk about boycotting? Because I think there's a lot of principles that people kind of construe with boycotting, but that in some ways obviously don't actually count as boycotting, but also in many ways, um, don't really wade into the same realm as boycotting. So I was just getting a 1-800 number calling me, um, probably offering me a wonderful vacation somewhere. Sorry about that. Um, and so a few things that I want to kind of throw out there just to get um, myself thinking, hopefully get you thinking as well as to what we mean by boycotting um, and what principles should go without saying, what principles can be really valuable and really effective. And so there's a few things to start with. When I think of boycotting, I think of, okay, the intersection between politics and business. I, I think that very often we are obviously making decisions 
about who we vote for with our, our actual vote, municipally, regionally, federally, provincially, wherever you're at, however elections happen. Hopefully many of you um, are living in countries where elections do happen. If you're not, um, I, I'm very sorry about that. Um, in the words of Winston Churchill, I believe uh, democracy is the dumbest form of government, um, except for every other form of def- government. Um, but but that's a, a whole other kettle of fish that I probably shouldn't wade into. Um, for for countries that have um, democracies and you're voting for elected officials, I think that it obviously goes without saying that you are trying to prioritize um, voting for someone or a party which has values that align most directly with your own. Um, they may be purely um, morality, ethics issues. They might be economic issues. Obviously, there's intersection between the two of those. But obviously there's going to be some component of discernment that goes into who you're going to vote for. And I would argue that in a lot of ways, commerce is very similar. You're voting not with your your, um, ballot, but rather with your finances. You are making a decision day after day to talk about where you prioritize spending your money, whether it's on whether or not to buy a product or invest in a service, period, or which product, which service, or which retailer of products and services you're going to go towards based on a number of different priorities, not only the quality of the product or service, but also the convenience of it, the aesthetics of it, the um, um, service that, that you're getting at a store, at a business, at a company, that kind of thing, and also probably the the moral landscape of that entity as well. And... And so I think there's one thing that go that should go, I hope, without saying that that boycotting really doesn't come into whether or not you privately invest your your time, money, um, anything else, any other resource into a, a business organization or individual, right? I, I think that boycotting doesn't you're not boycotting if you're saying, you know what, the the produce at Superstore is garbage. I'm going to go down to the co-op. I'm not getting endorsed by co-op. Um, I'm just using that as an example. The the produce at one grocery store is a an inferior um, product to another area um, for a comparable price. Therefore, I have my 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 range of priorities. Quality is very high. Price is uh, moderate, but it's comparable. Therefore, I'm going to go to a business that has a higher quality product for a comparable price. I don't think you're boycotting by choosing higher quality products, especially if you're not letting them know that's why you're you're choosing that option. Um, I think that even if you were to say, you know, I I am no longer going to support um, purchase groceries from this grocery store, even though they have comparable or even superior products, even though they might have comparable or even superior prices or other factors, aesthetics, convenience, all that kind of thing. I am not going to go there because of their moral or ethical decisions. Therefore, I'm going to shop at a competitor because I don't want to be complicit in their um, cooperation in injustice, whatever it may be, whether it's supporting Planned Parenthood, whether it is neglecting the dignity of their workers, whatever, whatever the issue is. I'm going to try to stay fairly focused on abortion through this episode, but I appreciate that there are a number of factors which contribute towards our purchasing decisions. And so I would argue that you are not even boycotting that grocery store, that other business or organization, if this is a private discernment, private process. And first of all, the company that you are no longer supporting doesn't know that you're no longer supporting them, either because it's a drop in the ocean or because you've never let them know. Um, 
that that really doesn't count as a boycott. I don't think that that that's a, a valuable purchasing decision. I think that's a very moral and very important decision for for you and me and anybody else to be making. Am I going to buy a particular kind of running shoes? Am I going to um, invest my time or energy into supporting a particular candidate or business or um, organization, nonprofit, whatever it may be, based on a wide array of factors? Where I think this becomes boycotting is first of all, once we start um, letting the offending entity know the rationale and the very existence of our um, change in behavior, right? The, I, I think that change is necessary. I think, I think it's a bit redundant to say that I'm boycotting some small business in the middle of Southeast Asia that I've never been to, that I never have any intentions of going to, but I'm somehow piling onto them. Um, I, I don't know if that quite qualifies for a boycott. Again, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. However, I, I think the first step of a meaningful boycott is to inform the offending party of our purchasing or, or other behavioral decisions, letting them know the specific reason for our change in action. Second of all, I think that there is a component of broader publicity surrounding our purchasing or behavioral decisions. I think that um, letting others know or either even encouraging others to participate as well in that decision um, is really what constitutes a boycott. It, it yeah, you got to let the entity know themselves, and you're probably trying to rally comparable support from a small or large number of your peers, your family members, your friends, whatever it may be. That's me, the working de um, definition that I'm going to be using. Um, if I'm way off on that, again, please shout out in the comments, whatever podcatcher you're on, go to YouTube, go to uh, email me, email at, at prolifeguys.ca, uh, com. email at prolifeguys.com, hit me up there. Um, but let's use that as our working model. Okay, so we are trying to vote with our dollars. We are trying to influence the business's um, philanthropy. We're trying to influence their behavior through our buying behavior or through our participation behavior. And I think the first thing that we have to be very mindful of is how effective and how worthy of our time this is. I really genuinely believe that return on investment is a very important thing when it comes to social causes, that there's a lot of small things that we can do. And it's not about don't do small things, only do big things. I, I think that we need to look at the effectiveness of the things that we're doing, how much time, energy, brain power, money does it take? And what is the return on that investment? Um, and I, I hate to pop balloons out there, but I feel like the the evidence has been clear that there have been very few effective boycotts um, in the last 200 years. I think that there are some very prominent ones, obviously. Um, the first one that comes to my mind is the Montgomery bus boycott led by Rosa Parks, um, MLK, and, and countless others in the civil rights movement. They made it publicly known to not only the Montgomery bus agency, but also to those around that they did not believe in the bus's policy that um, if a white person should ask for the seat of a black person, they were required to um, surrender their seat on the bus. They made this clear to the public transit agency with, within Montgomery. They made it clear to the public that this is the reason for their boycott and they invited people to participate. And that was a very effective boycott that catalyzed, um, in a lot of ways, the civil rights movement. If you want to 
know the story behind the Montgomery, Montgomery bus boycott and the conviction that really prompted Rosa Parks and many others to, um, to participate in that. I in, invite you and encourage you to check out the story of Emmett Till. This is a story that we um, at CCBR reflect on very frequently as we um, consider the tremendous and profound power of victim imagery, but that's for another episode. Um, so boycotting has been used in the past. It's been used recently in a few different areas, not only by small C conservatives and Christians of, of different um, denominations and, and others, um, but also by those who would be very opposed. I, I mean, there's been boycotting towards Chick-fil-A, there's been boycotting towards Starbucks and Target and Budweiser and countless others and that kind of thing. And so what are some principles that should go in to our decisions to boycott and how we're going to boycott? The, the first thing that I really, really want to impress upon everybody that I, I hope is a thread that goes through all of the apologetics that I talk about on this show, on this program entirely that we're doing at CCPR is the importance of being charitable, right? The, the idea of running into your local grocery store or I, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago how Shoppers Drug Mart um, was doing a, a promo on birth control or whatever on their uh, radio ads, that kind of thing. I don't want to run into a shopper's drug mart and scream my face off at an 18 year old kid who's working part-time hours trying to pay for school because they have no authority. They have no ability to change things. And even if they did, just like any other kind of persuasive engagement, screaming your face off at somebody probably isn't going to be the most efficacious way of affecting change. Right. And so, I will say, and I'm going to get to this, that doesn't mean that you cannot engage that local store member, but how are we doing it? Why are we doing it? What are we expecting to come from that decision um, decision and that engagement point? I, I've read a number of really good articles about boycotting in general, and, and one that really stood out had two primary reasons why we should boycott. Um, and those two reasons were, first, that it draws the attention of the offending um, decision makers within that entity. If you inform them directly and make it known to them why you are or that you are boycotting and why you are boycotting, what policies, what moral decisions, or or what whatever it may be, you are employing. It creates dialogue or your goal should be to create dialogue. And so you must do it in a way that invites and opens the door for dialogue. It doesn't guarantee the dialogue will occur. Obviously, you need two people willing to dialogue for there to be dialogue in the first place. But this should be, first and foremost, a decision which... Um, really draws the attention of the decision makers to reflect upon at the very least, or even um, more ideally, to discuss and dialogue around um, the issue that you have brought forward. And second, the public component of boycotting, of inviting other people, should not be done in a hostile way that is going to shut down conversation with others who may have never thought about the ethical decisions of a particular business or Entity. This should be seen as an opportunity for dialogue, drawing people's attention towards an opportunity for, for dialogue, both at the corporate executive decision-making level for the, the policies of a particular entity, but also at the, the kind of grassroots level to provoke conversation and dialogue and change of heart and mind amongst people, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, because at the end of the day, well, yes, I will accept the fact that I might 
be able to change a company's policy with regards to donating towards Planned Parenthood by the power of my dollars. And the only reason why they're not donating is because they fear loss of business. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want money going towards Planned Parenthood. And yet I should still be aspiring to an even higher aspiration. I think that's a worthy aspiration, but I don't think that it's the highest um, ideal. I think that actual conviction change of heart, just like in politics, right? I, I will certainly vote if, if my only option is to vote for somebody who won't support abortion because they're afraid of not getting elected into office. They themselves personally support abortion. However, they vote against abortion because of the power of the populace. That I believe that is a sufficient um, reason, but it's not the highest ideal. I would rather obviously have an elected official or a company, business, um, corporate entity, whatever it may be, that does not support abortion because of both conviction that regardless of whether there was the buying power or not, they would not support abortion, even if the overwhelming majority of people that were in society were trying to push them towards supporting abortion, they wouldn't do so. So my, my highest ideal, maybe this is me as softy as being part of the educational arm, my highest ideal is conviction and um, transformation of, of heart when it comes to the issue itself. I want to provoke change within the decision makers, not just because of the impact on their, their balance books or their, their pocketbooks, um, though that I believe is sufficient and appropriate. Hopefully that's clear as mud. So those who draw attention to the decision makers and open dialogue, be a catalyst of dialogue for those around you as a way of generating conversation. I think often, again, I'm going to uh, kind of go into the realm of politics a little bit. In 2015, CCBR did um, what many considered to be a purely political campaign in our No to Trudeau campaign. We highlighted and exposed Justin Trudeau's radical pro-abortion agenda and worldview um, and put that on display for people in the lead up to the 2015 election. And people look at that uh, campaign and often point towards it and say, you guys failed in your campaign. Justin Trudeau was still elected. That campaign was first and foremost educational. We saw that as a tremendous success, not only because it made it very clear to Justin Trudeau, as has been made evident um, in his statements and in his practices, that he's very familiar with Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform and the power that we hold in influencing those around us. Um, so made it very aware to the Liberal Party and to Justin Trudeau himself, and also uh, made nearly a million people in Canada just through the postcards, not to mention all of our other projects and all the coverage that we got, um, familiar with this opening up and catalyzing the dialogue around abortion. We saw this as primarily an educational campaign that used a vehicle of politics to invite conversation and dialogue. And so that, that's just an example of how we can leverage our purchasing power, our votes, our um, behaviors and decisions to facilitate change. Three other things that I want to talk about because I do want this to be a relatively tight episode. Another article, um, and I'm going to drop a few of these articles um, in here. I, I'm going to say very um, clearly and very explicitly, I, I did some research on this. I cannot say that I investigated all of the different entities that I researched from. I don't know all of the other decisions um, or articles that they have. Um, and so please take this alone as 
the articles that I find there to be compelling points, even within the articles, I may not agree with them entirely, but I think there's a few compelling parts, points. And so definitely search um, some of these articles yourself. However, there are three kind of reasons to boycott, um, sorry, no, um, methods of boycotting and, and considerations for boycotting as well. Um, first of all, it should only be used for profound injustices because it's impossible to rally the, the necessary kind of coverage for it to be effective if we're doing this willy-nilly for every single thing possible. We dilute our voice if we are attacking too many different issues. That doesn't mean that we can only focus on abortion. This be my primary focus. Focus. I encourage it to be your primary focus as well. But I'm not saying that you have to forget about all other issues. All I'm saying is that it dilutes the effectiveness of your boycotting power if you are boycotting everything under the sun and constantly becoming a clanging gong that just is out there for the, the sake of boycotting because you just really enjoy boycotting. And so be selective in your boycotting and remember the power of persuasion and integrate your boycott into persuasion. I mentioned earlier the role that interacting with um, a, a ground level foot soldier, as it were, um, the, the barista at Starbucks probably has very limited, if any, control over where the corporate dollars go to. But that doesn't mean that a a meaningful conversation can't be sparked on like, hey, I, I, I saw an article about how um, Starbucks um, supports Planned Parenthood. Do you know if that's true? Is that something that you have any control over? Does this um, franchise, or I don't even know if Starbucks is franchised or not, but do, does this store location have any control over where their money goes? Like, let's enter into a seeking to understand kind of dialogue around this issue with a barista. I'm not going to hold up the line. I'm not going to piss everybody off behind me. Excuse my language. Um, I'm going to enter into this conversation. Hey, where, where are you at on this? Let's have a conversation around the ethical decisions of the company that you work for. I'm not going to take it out on you because I guarantee that that cashier, that barista, that whatever had no control over the policy themselves. But open this up for a round of dialogue. Use this as a catalyst for change. And maybe they have opportunities. Maybe they say, you know, like within our store location, we actually have a vote every month for where we want to put our... Um, tips towards or or a percentage of our revenue or something like that. Like, this is really good for me to think about when it comes to how I allocate my vote on where that money goes towards. Okay, cool. You may be affecting change through dialogue, right? So first of all, there's that. Second of all, there's tremendous power in um, asking them to talk to their manager, talk to their superiors, because this is something that you find very concerning. Give them something that they actually have that they can make a difference on. If you scream your face off, they're probably not going to want to go and scream their face off, um, even if they agree with you, right? That This can be something of like, hey, I'd really appreciate if you could talk to your manager, talk to whomever you can about the um, ethical decision making of your company, organization, whatever it may be. And so you can absolutely engage through the grassroots, even at the corporate level. And then you can also engage at the higher levels as well, whether that's on social media platforms, whether that's contacting them through their website, whether that's through other areas, the more polite you are, the more um, clear you are, often the more concise you are as well, the more likely you are to engage effectively and actually get engagement back and not just thank you for your email um, it has been received goodbye and never hear back from them again. Be polite, 
ask questions, seek to understand, and provoke them to dialogue surrounding the issue of whether abortion directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being, and if it does, whether it's appropriate to be fueling money towards entities which directly and intentionally kill innocent human beings. And so engage them at that level, use this as an opportunity to engage people around. I mean, social media is where many people go for their boycotting. Maybe if you end more of your sentences with question marks than with um, periods or exclamation points, that will invite conversation. Maybe if you take a different tone. I know that uh, my colleague Quana and others have been on before talking about online engagement, taking a different tone to make your public um, boycott meaningful with regards to catalyzing conversation. And so consider that as well. Um, and consider the fact that there's not only negative boycotting, but also positive, um, I, I don't even know if you would call it boycotting, but making decisions to proactively support organizations that are, um, in our estimation, more moral or, or as we prioritize our issues, not uh, making the same ethical um, problems and decisions that other entities are. Um, you know, I, I'm buying coffee here because I, I just couldn't bring myself to support an organization that um, funnels money towards the killing of innocent children. I, I want to talk to a barista in a coffee shop that doesn't support Planned Parenthood or other entities like, hey, I, I'm I'm new here. I, I don't really know what's good. I Oh, why are you new here? Oh, I, I used to support this other um, or used to buy coffee from this other place and I don't anymore because of their policy on this. I'm, I'm curious. Do you know what policies you guys have or where are you at on this issue? Use this as an opportunity for dialogue. I'm all about the dialogue. I think that change is most effective when we change hearts and minds um, and build on top of the buying power. And so this isn't to say that you have to start going to Starbucks or Target or wherever um, you have been boycotting already. This is a matter maybe reflect upon how you boycott um, different entities and how much dialogue you are facilitating and how effective you are in inviting change of heart and mind on the issue. So again, two major ways to boycott, uh, reasons to boycott is to engage the decision makers um, in reflection and dialogue and to um, provoke and catalyze conversation at the grassroots level, both within the corporation entity um, itself, as well as um, within the general public. And um, and then also consider, okay, be selective in your boycotting because it takes time and energy and finances to be able to make this happen. And I would love to empower you and encourage you to consider other forms of outreach which are going to produce a higher return on investment. Um, I don't think that I'm too heavily biased because I am a reluctant um, street activist myself, and yet I realized a tremendous return on investment that we see while doing pro-life outreach using abortion victim photography. We witness um, just over 25% of the pro-abortion people that we talk to become fully pro-life within the span of a conversation. We see over 50% of people that we talk to significantly change at the very least, if not become fully pro-life, so less than 50% of people that walk away. Um, don't admit that they have changed in their worldview. Uh, many of them are, are thinking critically, but, but weren't willing or able to commit to having significantly changed, that kind of thing. And so I would really encourage you to consider um, if you're only going to do one thing, invest your time and energy into public outreach, along with one of CCBR um, and our internship, our volunteer opportunities, our um, 
partnered community groups across the country, wherever you're at. If, if you are in a location that wants to take on some pro-life outreach using CCPR's apologetics and street-tested strategies that we have adopted and adapted um, from historic social reform movements that have been incredibly effective in affecting social change, hit me up, email at prolifeguys.com um, or in the comment section below. And I do want to draw your attention as well, I should have mentioned this off the top, um, that I'm doing a new YouTube-specific series. This is not apologetics. I I have always been reticent to put apologetics behind any kind of paywall or anything like that. I am trying to work on some Patreon content that isn't apologetics specifically, but rather greater opportunities um, for Patreon supporters to connect with leaders in the pro-life movement, that kind of thing. Um, but also in an effort to build up our YouTube um, following, I'd love to invite you to check out over there. There's a new series that's kind of going to be behind the scenes. It's just going to be like banter and chatting between myself and others within the pro-life movement. Um, you get to know leaders in the pro-life movement a little bit more. It's going to be a bit of a hybrid of humans of the pro-life movement and the inside scoop for anybody who saw episodes of the inside scoop. Um, and I, I'd love to to get you guys more and more on YouTube as well. As I've mentioned on previous episodes, YouTube is really important for us because it's where a lot of potential guests go to gauge the um, return on investment for their time. How worthwhile is it for them to come on the show? A lot of um, podcatchers don't show following and and especially not the, the major ones. And so I know there's a lot of people listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, other things like that. If you'd be so kind as to not only subscribe to the show, but also check out the YouTube video. Whether you have it playing in the background, I know that YouTube isn't the most user-friendly when it comes to having it on your phone while doing other stuff, things like that. I don't know who actually pays for YouTube. I know my buddy Attila does, but um, I don't know how many other people do. And so um, check out YouTube. And if you'd be so kind to, to check out a, a video there for, for views, for likes and subscribes and all that kind of stuff, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks a ton. I hope there aren't too many of you that are absolutely shaking your head or like screaming at your phone or your computer right now of how far off I am. I would love to hear your thoughts on um, whether boycotting is effective, whether honestly in your estimation it's moral um, and, and how you have been, how you want to be boycotting, that kind of thing, how we can leverage our buying power and our voices to affect change for the protection of preborn children and the advancement of important causes. And so thanks a ton for tuning into the show. Let me know if you have any questions or comments or ideas or suggestions. Again, I'll say it for the third time, email at prolifeguys.com. Hit me up there, go to our website, check out content there as well. Um, thanks so much for tuning in and may God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Mm -hmm.